I think my niche right now is kind of silly, but my niche are my past clients. Right. You know, I would but they're say, all A business, um, right? This is all income qualified oh, A business. Yeah, yeah, do you do any yeah. B business? Three. Three to four a year. That's it. And then what about construction? Do you construction? No. No construction. No B, no private. No, right. no. Commercial? No. I mean, you know, when I first started, I had 20 commercial deals on the go. 20. Do you know how many I funded? Zero. Right. Not one. I think they're like hunting elephants. You sure yeah. they're great, but your chance of getting one or not getting your head stomped on or yeah. Like it's not for me. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Jim Talukas, the one, the only. I love chatting with Jim. He's one of the coaches in our 10 Loans a Month Academy, one of the most productive mortgage brokers that I know, 750 mortgages this year with two people working with him, only works nine hours a day max, eight to nine hours a day, prefers to work six. So we have a couple of things we talk about. First, he explains how he communicates rates, fixed versus variable to his clients and why the vast majority of his clients are in variable rates. Honestly, you're going to want to re-listen to that section. It's so good. He talks about how he manages 750 files with only two team members, sort of what he does there. He's actually hiring right now. So if you're motivated, you might get to reach out to him. And then finally, he talks about some of the successes from the coaching that he's been doing. So he's been working with some clients through our academy and he does some really cool stuff in terms of how to do corporate contracts and how to compete against the other lenders. And he's like a black belt with like four stripes or whatever they got, I don't know, but he's way up there. And so he really understands the technical nuance and how to win files. You're going to love this conversation. In the Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Reuven Gorsh from Dita.ca and we talk about letters of direction. And I've been seeing a lot in our Facebook group, people going, oh my gosh, the lawyer forgot to pay me. He's basically saying, screw me, screw you. And so we talk about that, how you can avoid it, but also how Dita, they share with you the trust ledger so you can see is my pay on there before the file goes through so that transparency helps them prevent that but check that out my conversation with deeded and before i jump into the rest of this i want to give a shout out to my title sponsor finmo so finmo is a mortgage application document collection and submission platform built specifically for canadian mortgage brokers and it's very easy to use it's easy for your clients it's easy for your agents to learn how to use and it's got some cool features connected to lender spotlight you can search rates and guidelines it's also connected to Smart Docs, so figure out what Docs means you need. Just a really, really easy to use platform. Check out Fimo.ca and check out this episode with Jim. Hey, Jim, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Scott. Glad to be here again. I know that we've done this before, but maybe for anybody that doesn't know who you are, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage biz. Actually, I've been in this biz 20 years in January. My God, time flies. Got in this business 20 years ago worked at a mutual fund company before I came into the mortgage business. And prior to that, I actually worked at First Line, First Line Trust. So I knew the mortgage business from back then, going back, oh God, 28 years ago or so. And how I got into this business was really a function of my need to control my own life. I was a corporate guy working 14 hour days, making really good money, like mid six figures 20 years ago. It was pretty good money back then, good money now. But I had no life. 14-hour days, didn't see my kids. So then when my wife was pregnant with our third child, I said, that's enough. I gave him six months notice, and I spent a year with the family, and I figured, you know what? This is what I want to do. I'll figure it out. But eight months later, I figured, okay, now what? Right. <laughs> my money's drying up. I got to get back to something. And I do remember, you know, in my travels of what to do, I do remember my first line days. And I remember, like, I used to work in the finance department for Usury. Um, mm. I was a home trust. I remember seeing the financials saying, what's this? These brokers are being paid what? They're paying. How much money are you getting paid out to brokers every month? So you don't like. 
huge yeah, numbers. Look at it. I said these guys are getting commissions, of acts, they're getting volume bonuses, they're getting points, they're getting basis points, and you know some brokers are you know spending a quarter million fixing their backyard on these points. I'm thinking, what is going on here? So I figured, you know, I'm pretty good at math. You know, I can do the mortgage thing. So I figured, you know, let me give that a shot. So I got into the mortgage business, signed up with the broker, and I remember my first deal. Never forget this first deal. I drove to a client's house. It's a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Three kids running around, two of them in diapers. I'm thinking, man, what did I get myself into? Why did I leave my corporate job to do this? But then quickly, you know, sat back and like, you know, I know people in different industries, so I knew a lot of contacts in the financial planning world. Long story short, I approached my ex boss, who ran a brokerage, a stock brokerage company. And I became their mortgage broker for their 30,000 clients. So 30,000 clients across the country. I went from, I guess, one deal to an effective annual roll rate of about $100 million in a six-month period. So right. now we got cool. How long did it take you to break $100 million in production? Was it like 12 months or 13 months? It, yeah, it was, about, it was about a year, right? So once yeah. I landed these guys, it was about eight or nine million a month. So it was about and a this year. This was back when mortgages were much smaller too. I was doing mortgages in Winnipeg for 70 grand. It was brutal. So I took that and then I leveraged that success and I approached a buddy of mine who ran a relocation company and said, hey, you know, let me do your mortgages. I know CIBC is doing them. I know that you're complaining they're doing a crappy job funding 30% of the leads you give them. Give me a shot. So they gave me a shot. I funded 70%. Boom, I got that contract. So now I'm about 150 million. And then I leveraged that success and I went and got two more relocation companies, a couple more financial planning firms. Fast forward to today, we do teachers, we do engineers, we've got some alumni, we've got some unions. I think there were about 900,000 or so Canadians under our constituency that we're signed up for. Sounds impressive, but it's not, believe me. That 900,000 people ends up being about 200 to 240 deals a year. So it's from those, what, what do you do per year in deals? You think you're going to finish this year? I want to see around 750 is what we'll end up. Between 730 and 750. Yeah. Mid fours, mid 400s, mid to high 400s, somewhere around there. So, yeah. So, I mean, those contracts, they're great. It's about 200 to 240 deals a year. You know, my business is for the most part referrals from past clients. And so, what's the biggest change you've seen in the industry in the past year? Oh, God, the sheer volume, the sheer volume of the number of deals and the size of deals. I think we're up about 20% in the number of deals, but our volume's up about, like we'll fund about 60% more than last year. That's a function of the dollar size of the deals. We're about 700,000 is our average deal size. The other thing I noticed, I mean, been happening in this industry for a while is the ultra competitiveness of this market. I remember 20 years ago, you know, a monkey could be successful. No offense to anybody 20 years ago. Right. Um, but we we're always- It was the ice started 15 years ago. It was easier. For yeah, sure. you're half a percent cheaper than the bank. How do you not win the deal? Today, Flex equity, remember that one? Flex equity. Yep, like, yep, yep. I remember GE money. Here's 108% of your purchase. You don't need a down payment. Here's extra money for your fridge. I mean, it was easy. It was real easy. And I was for a rental, by the way. But today, it's a lot more complicated, right? We're not the lowest rate anymore. Not by a long shot. I mean, you can't choose to be if you wanted to be, if you wanted to go into that business. But, but now you're working on 40 cents on the dollar and you're funding 20% of your applications. But yeah, so I think it's going to get ultra competitive. So hence the need to find a niche and find a way to win these deals besides rate. Okay. What did you say your niche is? Who's your like target client that you work with? We started off with financial planners. That was our niche and it still is a big part of our business. But I guess I think my niche right now is kind of silly, but my niche are my past clients. 
Right. You know, I would. But they're say, all A business, um, right? This is all income qualified oh, A business. Yeah, yeah, do you do any yeah. B business? Three, three to four a year. That's it. And what about construction? Do you construction? No, no construction. No do B. You? No private. No. Right. Commercial. No. I mean, you know, when I first started, I had twenty commercial deals on the go. Twenty. Do you know how many I funded? Zero. Right. Not one. I think they're like hunting elephants. You sure they're great, but your chance of getting one or not getting your head stomped on or yeah, like it's not for me. Yeah. Well, seven or eight years ago, I used to refer all my commercial deals to people. I stopped doing that. I mean, I just stopped. Okay. Why? Most people would think that's crazy. Why would you stop referring if you could? Isn't it just free money? Well, it's more the reputation than the money, right? It's more than I'm going to make a couple thousand bucks or whatever I'm going to make. For me, it's when you refer someone, even with lawyers, right? I kind of stop referring lawyers because if something goes wrong, you get dragged into it from a legal perspective from a reputational perspective, it's just not worth it. And the time perspective, right? My time is worth more than the money I may make from a commercial deal. And now I'm trusting someone to do a good job at my level. So I don't want to take that reputation. So I stopped doing yeah. it. I know most, most people that get your position do the same thing. They usually go, forget it. It's not worth asshole. Yeah. It's, it's not a money thing anymore. It's more of a time and reputation. That's exactly what it is. That's right. exactly okay. What it is. Do you think 2022 will be another record year or do you think we're going to slow down? What do you think? Well, I'll tell you, it was a record year for us this year. I think we'll do better next year. If I look at ourselves, you know, my average year is about 60% refis, renewals, 40% purchases. This year, we're 80% purchases. And remember, we increased our business by 20% in the volume. What that tells you is that I left a lot of money on the table, right? So there's a lot of deals that we didn't get to because we just couldn't do it. So those deals we never got to will still be there, right? There's a lot of people out there who need help. So the quick answer is, I think, in this business, you could be as busy as you want, as busy as you want to get. Truthfully, there's so much low-hanging fruit out there. If you're sitting around figuring out what to do, you're just not doing the right thing. There's so much out there. So, yeah, I think for those of us who want to be busier, we could be as busy as we want. Like, I can tell you what's going to change for me next year is I'm actually hiring a third body. I've had two guys got since the beginning. This is huge. And this is huge news. I'm going to put this on yeah. like Canadian mortgage broker news. <laughs> Jim is hiring one more person, finally. If anyone's interested, give me a call. But yeah, no, I've got to hire another person. I mean, there's 100 to $140 million that will be generated by this extra body. And if nothing else, it'll free me up even more. Like, you know, my average day is typically nine to three, maybe nine to four. Not this year. This year, I'm nine to five, nine to six, right? Um, that is unacceptable, so, Jim. Unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> is this you working your nine-hour day? What the heck? <laughs> Yeah, it's just not sustainable. Like, I mean, yeah. I think I told you this before. When I'm here for six hours, we do more in six hours than some people do in 12 or 18 hours. I mean, there's no lunch break. There's no messing around. Managing two phones at the same time, emailing people along the time. It's just nuts. So, yeah. you do need I a do break. Coaching. Yeah, and the coaching is, is a break for you, right? It's like a mental, like, you know. I look so forward to it, right? It really is a mental break. It allows me to actually, I don't want to say unwind, but allows me just to, you know, step back and reflect, which is nice. I know the feedback has been awesome from the people that have gone through your cohort. So we'll talk about that a little bit at the end here. But in the current environment, are you recommending variable fix? There's a big spread now between fixed and variable. And I just finished yeah. interviewing Dave LaRock. He's a pretty smart dude. You probably know him. Yeah. I'm about fixed and variable. And he's, you know, he's 65% variable. So I'm wondering what you're doing I'm, right now. I'm about 95% variable. Right. It's logical. I'll do it. I'll explain, you know, I get this call every single day. The spread between fixed and variable today is one and a half percent. Let's say on average, one and a half percent, which means prime would have to go up six times before we get to that same rate. So let's say it does. Let's say prime goes up six times over the next two years. You're still a winner. Why? Because until it goes up six times, you've saved a ton of money along the way. So it goes up six times over two years. 
it would have to go up another seven times over the remaining three years before you break even to the Fed. So now it's what, 13 increases. Bank of Canada's got to go from 0.25 to 3.5% before you break even to the Fed. Is that going to happen? Highly unlikely. So, I mean, I'm a firm believer in the variable. The other thing is, you know, we always talk about the penalty, right? You know, stats out there show that it was 60% of people who do something with their mortgage before the fourth year. So imagine life got in the way and you have to break a fixed mortgage. You pay a penalty of 4% on average compared to a couple thousand bucks. So those two reasons, I'm variable all day long. It makes sense today. It may not make sense in six months. If the spread's not there, if the yield curve's inverted, it may not make sense. But today, it makes sense. Right, the variable. Yeah, that's interesting. And this Dave Arock said very similar. So what do you think is the secret of funding so many mortgages with such a small team? Like I have some suspicions or things that I've noticed that you do uniquely, but I'm curious, what do you think allows you to do so much with two people? Yeah, there's a bunch of things, right? So what we talk about in one of their sessions is the 25 do's and don'ts, how to be efficient. And it's simple. I'll give you some examples. I mean, the first thing is you got to know how to filter out the junk, right? There's a lot of junk out there, right? A lot of time wasted in this industry from calls from clients who aren't really sincere to things that we fill our day with. Like I'll tell you, one thing that we don't do is we don't go for lunch, right? If I go for lunch with someone, which by the way, I did last week with the Barico guys. And that's my one lunch for the I saw you out actually. I was like, what is he doing out of his office? Like he came out of the cave long enough to like <laughs> meet somebody and go back to work. Once per year. And that was it. But think about it, right? You're going to drive to lunch half an hour. You're going to sit for an hour and a half. You're going to drive back for half an hour. Two and a half hours are gone. You're probably full. At least when I go for lunch, I'm full. I can't work after that. I need a pillow. So we don't do lunch. When we're here, it's all work, work, work. It's not a lot of fun, but it's effective. The other thing that we do, I mean, some of the things that we do is when I'm on the phone with a client and an underwriter calls me, I put the client on hold. I will put anyone on hold, anyone, if my underwriter is calling me. And the reason for that is they're working on my file. And when they're working on my file, they have a question. They need that question answered. If I don't answer that question, my file goes to the bottom of the pot. And guess what? They'll get back to me in two days or a day. We keep missing each other. So it's very ineffective. So my underwriters are gold. Actually, they're more important to me than my clients, to be quite honest. More important to me than my referral partners. So I do what I can to make sure they get what they want, whether it's submitting files the way they want them, whether it's submitting docs the way they want them. You tell me what you want, I'm here for you. That's another little golden nugget that we talk about. It comes down to being able to filter the files being able to build a process and stick to it. You got to stick to your process. We have a very strict process that we stick to. You know, docs up front, credit card up front, all this docs up front. You know, one thing we do is, you know, we also have clients, if we don't know them, have you gone to your bank? Go to your bank and talk to your bank and find what they're going to give you and come back and call me. People think that's crazy. Why would you send your client to your bank? And the reason is, you know, part of our process is when a client calls me up, I try to find their reason not to do the deal. Not right. to do the deal, but not to do the deal. And I do that because if I find a reason not to do the deal, guess what? They're going to find a reason. They're going to find it too. And then you just waste a whole bunch of time. I'll waste a whole bunch of time. So that's kind of the thing that we do is we push them away, but come back to us and let's have a chat. And then we deploy our strategy around how we wow our clients. You know, I'll tell you, I mean, rate is not that important. We rarely buy down rates. If we do, we get it back. There's ways to get it back. But we rarely buy down rates. And when we do, it's one in 20 deals, if that. So it's all around how we position ourselves, the value that we show our clients that we get out of us beyond their rate, beyond the $14 a month they're going to save. Right. So you're basically funding, you know, what, $750 divided by 12, if it was evenly, about 60 mortgages a month, and maybe two or three of them would have a possible buy down. 
Maybe in five dips of those. Yeah, five dips. Yeah, I know you don't buy it on like deep. It's just like a small amount. Okay, so Sticky Process is fantastic. And so you started doing some coaching with us last year in the academy. It's been so much fun to kind of watch you kind of progress and just, you know, pour out that 20 years of knowledge and the feedback. So first question is how much have you enjoyed doing the coaching? I love it. I love it. Can't wait to come back in January. So like I said, it, it allows me to take, I got 20 years of knowledge, right? A lot of junk in here, but a lot of good stuff, right? And it's funny because my wife always says, you shouldn't have become a mortgage broker. You should have been a professor or a trial lawyer, one of the two, because you love to profess and you like right. to argue. So you're in the wrong profession, but- I think you did okay, you know. <laughs> I think so. I think you're fine. But it allows me, like I said, your coaching stuff allows me to get some of that. I thoroughly enjoy it. I really do. Plus I get to connect with people, right? I don't do any events, right? I won't go on- golf trips or trips from London. You don't go to Indian conferences. Events. Like you're really not like you're too busy I, working to. Yeah. To like, you know, I've been to a couple, I might go to one a year, maybe. So I don't connect with people. Right. So I've done five of them with you now, I think. And I've connected with 25 people. And a lot of these people, they're great. And we connect all the time and, you know, we chat about deals, you know, we walk them through how to do stuff. And quite frankly, I learned quite a bit as well. Right. I've learned quite a bit with some of your superstars. And yeah. I know what I find is when you, you know, when they say, when you teach, you learn twice, plus you give good ideas to smart people and they're going to kind of make a little adjustment. You're like, Oh, that's an insight. So I find our coaches, they're getting value too from the interaction. So can you can share of a success story from one of your clients where you help them? You think yeah, no, for sure. Oh, there's lots for sure. Of so I'll give you a couple. So our second session is about how to win a client over, how to wow them. You're their hero. And how do we beat up our competitions? We'll talk about that. One of the clients calls me on a Friday night. It's night for me. Not for, he's out of Vancouver. He says, Jim, I got to talk to you. So I deployed the tactics that you told me about how to win these clients without the lowest rate. And literally he did what we talked about. And he saved three deals. He beat National Bank on one. He beat World Bank on the other. I forgot the third one. But it was about $4.2 million worth of deals that he was losing. The week before our session, he was losing them. He went yeah. back. He got all three of them. 44000 bucks of savings that he got solely because of the mindset that he developed from that session. But yeah, so it's mindset. It's understanding the language, the nuance of it. Because everything like, there's an art to this. I recognize that. So that's cool. That's very cool. Another one. So in our first session, we talk about where do we get deals from? How do we get deals? And one of the things that we talk about is how to wow a realtor. I don't deal with a lot of realtors, but I do deal with some of them. And one of the things that I teach is how to get a file, file complete before an offer is made. So imagine having this skill set under your belt. You walk into a realty office and say, hey, I won't get your deals done. File complete before you make an offer so you can compete. One of the clients used that. I think she landed a major office in your neighborhood because of that. So that worked out well. And the third person actually used some of the material I shared. So, you know, going out and getting contracts with alumni or whatever, you know, I shared the contracts, I shared the marketing material. So one of them actually went out and landed a financial planning firm and she's doing great with that. Right. That's amazing, man. That's so cool. So what are you most excited about for 2022? A couple things. National Bank is back in our channel. So I'm really thrilled with them being back. I'm going to be thrilled when TV comes back in January. Having more lenders will give us more choice. And I'm really excited by that. But I think I'm more excited about hiring somebody to get to that third person, which will, I think, be a game changer for me. Okay, well, let's talk about that for a second. What does the ideal candidate look like? We have a few people that listen to this. Well, yeah, thousands. Yeah. So like, you're going to have a mountain of people to sift through, just so you know. Yeah. I, I just know yeah. this right now. So give me your give me your criteria of what you're looking for. Sure. So I'll do that by describing the guys that I have now that are successful. Yeah, that's a great idea. You want a version of what you already have. Exactly right. So the guys I have, it's going to sound odd, but they're not hunters, if I can use that word. They're gatherers, yeah. right? Yeah. So I want someone who is likes 
not to worry about where their next chapter They're farmers. Is. I think of them like farmers. They're farmers. Yeah. Farmers. Thank you. Not gatherers. So I need a farmer who knows the business or can learn the business and is teachable and is open to our process. And that's basically it. You don't need to have that much experience. Like my guys didn't have experience when they came in. Actually, I prefer less experience so we can learn our method, to be quite honest. Someone who's driven to make money. That's the other thing. I want someone who's driven. Like I said, I'm in the office for seven hours as my guys are. They're probably nine hours with no lunch break. But they choose to do that, right? When you work for me, you work as little or as much as you want. So clearly, I want someone who wants to work hard and someone who's driven by success. Right. And do they have to be in your office? No. They don't have to be in my office. They do not have to be in my office. I sold my office, right? I'm working from home until I find a new place, but if I get a new place. So, no. Right. Yeah. You, your, your backdrop looks different than the yeah. last time you chatted. So, yeah. That's amazing. So, no. Yeah. They don't have to. They can work from anywhere. I'll send over my resume. <laughs> you wouldn't want me. I'd be terrible. I'd be no good. I think you'd be great. You did this job before. I could do it, but I don't think, I don't know. I don't think it'd be meant for me. But okay. So, where can people find you online, Jim? Jim T at adventmortgage.ca. Okay. I don't have a Google page. I've got a website. I think I did it in 20. If you don't have a website, you're going to laugh. It's a joke. So we don't need right. any... It was yeah. done so in like 1996 like... on, you know, Microsoft or something. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, Jim, yeah. it's been awesome. I love having you as one of the coaches and I know the clients love it. Good chatting with you. And we'll be talking soon, brother. All right, man. Have a good day. So, oh my gosh, wasn't that amazing? That conversation with Jim. I love talking to that guy. He's so smart. And that's just really the tip of the iceberg. So if you're listening to this going, oh my gosh, you know, how do I get plugged into something like that? Go to 10loansamonth.com, the number 10loansamonth.com. Our academy is currently full, but if you get on the wait list, I'll tell you how it works. All of our coaches, Jim is one of them. We have some fantastic coaches. They're all very productive mortgage brokers and they all have a different, you know, particular set of skills, a different superpower. And if you're on the wait list, what happens is when the renewals come up, we offer them to our current members first. And then whatever's left, we go to the wait list. And then if there's anything left after that, then we go to the public. And so if you're on the wait list, you're going to get that first early bird notification. And the last time, by the time we got through the wait list, there was only a couple spots left because all of our coaches are busy, successful mortgage brokers and they coach as only a part of what they do. There's always limited space. So get on that wait list and then you can get an invite the next time that we open our doors. In this upcoming segment, I'm going to be talking to Reuven about letters of direction and how you can make sure that the lawyer pays you. So you got to file a private file or something like Worst thing is do all that work and then the lawyer's like, too bad, I guess I forgot to pay you. You know, I got busy and it's just terrible. So Ruben's going to give some thoughts on this. Check that out. Hey, Ruben, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Great to be here again. Yeah. So recently in our Facebook group, there's a whole bunch of discussions going on about letters of direction and how sometimes they get missed. A fee was supposed to be collected on the lawyer side and it didn't get collected and it turns into a big catastrophe. That's just one of the things that can go wrong, you know, at closing that if you have an amazing experience right up into the lawyer part, it leaves a bad taste in their mouth. So let's jump into some ways that people can avoid some of that pain and have a better customer experience. It's a great topic. So one of the things just by looking at the background, in terms of what happens in a closing, there's a lot of documents that are coming in from various sources. And letters of direction is definitely one of those documents. And a lot of times it's simply just because of the flow, because, you know, sometimes there's busier periods of the season or the month. It's just, you know, simple human error in terms of missing some of those documents coming in. But what we found is it's also about having the right systems and processes so those letters of direction are automatically acknowledged so that the process is more transparent and we're never in a situation where they're missed or a payout in this case to the broker is missed 
Right. What do you guys do on your end? So like, what's something that you guys do to prevent that from happening? So we've got essentially three different checkpoints, believe it or not, to make sure that we receive a letter of direction, we review and acknowledge a letter of direction, and last but not least, and most importantly, pay out that letter of direction. So let's start with receiving it. So as you know, and some of your listeners might know, we have our portal for which you know broker can get their personalized account and they can set up their own client for closing. In that process of setting up a client, which typically takes only a few seconds, we do ask the question, is there a letter of direction involved? If that broker selects yes, right off the bat, there's a big flag that lights up in our dashboard for our team so they know to look for a letter of direction, no matter if one is uploaded or not. So that's really step one is highlighting it, make sure that everybody's on the same page. Step two is uploading that letter of direction. We like to move away as much as we can from email. And not that email isn't great, but email, we all have junk filters, stuff gets lost. And again, it's easy to miss that one piece of communication. And, you know, oftentimes when you're sending in your letter of direction, you're waiting for an acknowledgement. So unless you get that acknowledge saying, hey, received, processed, we put it on file, that's always an area of concern. So again, we've built the technology to be able to have the broker seamlessly upload that letter of direction, but at the same time, they get a checkpoint on our portal that they know that we viewed it and acknowledged it. So eliminating any of those variables of you know, junk email or goes to the wrong email address. And right, gets right. Okay, so first is they get the indicate on the front end, so there's a flag. Second is when it's submitted, when they've seen it, somebody physically goes, click, yep, we got it. So then you know that they've seen it and it's not missed. So what's the last thing? The last thing is just before closing, if you're familiar with the concept of a trust ledger, which is essentially a simple accounting statement showing what that transaction looks like financially, your letter of direction for whatever amount it is will be shown on that trust ledger. So being able to see that trust ledger ahead of when the transaction actually closes and settles provides yet that final checkpoint for the broker to make sure that trust ledger and anything else that may be pertinent to that transaction is on record and it's going to be processed. Right. So basically some mortgage brokers say reach out to the lawyer for the trust ledger because it's not part of their process to always share it necessarily, but you guys always share the trust ledger so that there's always a second set of eyes. Cause even if it's not a letter of direction, it could be, Hey, the mortgage amount is wrong. It could be like the penalty has changed significantly and now the client's short, but Hey, you should probably get in front of that as a mortgage broker so that they don't find out at the last minute, right? And so I think that's fantastic that you guys have that. Is there any other sort of tips on making a smooth closing? So a couple of things, and especially, you know, when you think about closing at the highest level, it's all about collaboration. It's about getting the documents that we need in order to close smoothly and efficiently. And a lot of times, so, you know, starting off with a client that just got a commitment and you're handing things off to either, you know, their lawyer, maybe you recommended someone that you work with. It's really about, you know, effectively packaging the document, making sure that that handoff and that transition is smooth. And you're never putting your client in a position where they need to re-explain the entire, you know, situation. Really, mm-hmm. don't, don't make them feel like they're dealing with yet another party, although they are. Just make that transition as smooth as possible. That's going to make for not only a better impression with the client, but it makes things a lot easier on the lawyer, the notary side, because we know what we got to do. We know what we're dealing right. with. We know the particulars of the situation. We're not chasing the same documents, et cetera. The other aspect of it, Scott, is really, as you mentioned, you know, with trust ledgers and other points, is really, you know, bringing that level of transparency. And I know, you know, different people work in different ways and some brokers are 
very, very engaged all the way from when the mortgage approval comes all the way through to funding. Some prefer a little bit more of a hands-off approach, but regardless, it's always best practice to keep on top of things. Deadlines will change. Things happen. You know, a lot of lenders are super busy these days. So mortgage instructions, payouts, things like that don't always make it on time. So it's Mm -hmm. always a great practice to have reminders, set them up in your calendar, make sure you're following through. And in our case, you know, we provide a lot of that through technology. So just as you're able to track an Amazon order or your Uber, you're able to see that in a very clear dashboard. You don't necessarily need to take action, make the phone calls and find out what's going on. It probably reduces the amount of communication you get from brokers and clients because there's transparency in that process. So like, oh, it's moving. I can see this thing's moving along versus what's going on. It probably does reduce it by doing that. Absolutely. And the other thing it reduces, Scott, is, you know, when we don't know what's going on. So give you an example. I ordered my son a jacket. I ordered it a couple of weeks ago and weather's been getting cold here in Toronto. So it needed Where's, this jacket and we, yeah, yeah. and we couldn't track it. Right. So for whatever reason, the link that we got from UPS just didn't work. We weren't able to track it. Magically, the jacket showed up yesterday. But while it's a small situation, it caused for a lot of anxiety. So we weren't sure, like, did the order even go through? Is it arriving? Is it going to be here for this winter or not, right? Mm-hmm. And I find most of us are kind of the same way because just we're used to quantifying and tracking everything from, you know, your fitness goals to your grocery delivery. And when you don't know, and this applies, I think, equally as well on the broker side because, you know, you want this transaction to close and make sure that you're getting your money and the client gets their money, but also from a client perspective, right? So as soon as you don't know and there's ambiguity, stress levels go up and let's face it, who needs more stress in their life? Totally. So we'll wrap up this episode. What are a couple of the takeaways that we want to leave people with when it comes to making this go better on the back end? Engagement, I think is really number one and follow through. Do not assume that things are going to magically happen. At the end of the day, you know, both on the broker side and on the lawyer side, you have humans involved where all human mistakes will happen. It's just really a matter of being engaged, getting ahead of any potential mistakes or potential issues and seek that transparency, like, you know, be involved and be engaged so that if anything were to happen, you're always on top of it. You look great in front of the client and really collaborate as a team to make that transaction work. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. And so if you guys are listening to this, so Reuven was founder of Dita.ca. It's a virtual law firm, virtual signings. It's amazing. Our agents that have been using it and some of my buddies in the mortgage space, and they love the communication, even things like letters of direction that we talked about. The fact that you don't have to ask for a trust ledger, that it's just part of your process just tells me you guys are much further ahead than most lawyers out there. So yeah, check that out guys, Dita.ca. And Reuven, thanks again, brother. We'll be chatting with you soon. Thanks again for having me. So that was a really fun episode. Had a great conversation with Jim about some of the things that he's doing. Also a fantastic discussion with Reuven about letters of direction. So if you're listening to this, you're like, Scott, what's next? So here's what I'd recommend you do. If you go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com, we have a power search tool. What does that mean? It means you can keyword search 400 plus podcast episodes, literally to the moment when somebody says the word purple, you know, or purple cow. So I know that I put this in here, this will be searchable. So you search the word purple cow and you will find this spot in the middle of all of those episodes. And it's a great research tool. You can learn a ton. It's totally free. All you got to do is go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com to set up that account. Thanks again for being a listener. Thanks again to our sponsors that allow us to do this. And we'll keep coming out with more content that's useful to you guys. And reach out if there's anything we can help with. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.